This is Stand Up For The Truth, a packed hour of challenging discussion, addressing important issues and topics affecting Christians across the nation. Join the conversation via email at comments at standupforthetruth.com. Now, David Fiorazzo. Good morning, brothers and sisters in Christ. Thank you for tuning in to Stand Up For The Truth. We are so glad that you have chosen to spend some time here with us, and I hope that you are challenged, informed, and encouraged today with our guest, a Pastor's Perspective Today. Father, thank you for giving us another day and for giving us purpose. And Lord, we cast our cares, our burdens, our anxieties over on you, and we pray that you would strengthen us, help us to surrender all that is not in our control, which is most of everything, and help us to control what we can. And we refuse worry. We refuse fear. We have not been given a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. We thank you for the peace of God that passes all understanding, that guards our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. And I thank you that we are in Christ. And Lord, uh, just prepare our hearts for what you have for us today, not only in this podcast, but in our sphere of influence as we go out into our particular lives and in in the culture and the world. Help us to be ambassadors for you, Lord, uh, not secret agents. We're running out of time. Please help us to redeem the time and give us a sense of urgency. We love you and we praise you, God, for your faithfulness in Jesus' name. Amen. Today's guest, we're blessed to have back with us, Pastor Mike Abendroth, uh, pastor of Bethlehem Bible Church in Massachusetts. Been there since 1997. I almost said 1797, but you're not that old, Mike. Um, let me just share a couple of books that we have uh, that you have written. Sexual Fidelity, Things That Go Bump in the Church, Discovering Romans, and of course you host No Compromise Radio. Thank you for coming back on the podcast. Mike Abendroth, good morning, brother. Well, Dave, thanks for having me back on. I appreciate you and the ministry. And it's good to always talk about the things of the Lord. And mm-hmm. uh, I like being a guest on your show because you just tee it up and let me swing for the seat. So I like that. <laughs> all right. Well, I, I, hopefully I'm not going to toss you all softballs today. But um, before we got on the air, you asked me how I was doing, and I just kind of unloaded. I'm, I'm, I'm feeling tired today. And, um, you know, God's in control. Um, but I do want to, you to share how you're doing and has winter affected you guys? How are the COVID restrictions in Massachusetts? How's your church doing? So if you could just give us a little update, and uh, that would be great. Sure. Well, I live in Massachusetts, as you said, the Commonwealth of Massachusetts, and I think right now the restrictions are 40% uh, capacity for uh, worship services on Sunday. And so what we did is we just went to two services so some people aren't wanting to attend, so they obviously can, you know, Zoom or live stream, and then the rest attend, and uh, I've been encouraged. Uh, I, I watch people hmm. in spite of all the crazy stuff going on, and they're learning, growing, a lot of serving behind the scenes, and so it's good to be meeting every week and uh, proclaiming the truth, and my responsibility as a pastor is uh, I will preach and administer the ordinances or sacraments, and so if you want to show up, I'll be there. We're just going to keep having that kind of strategy. Um, of course, you probably know about the pastor in Canada that's been in jail, and who knows how soon that will be a reality for many people. But mm. uh, the world obviously doesn't think that preaching and fellowship and worship is essential at all. And, and uh, I don't blame the world for thinking that, but right. it's, it's a sad reality. So I just think when the Lord Jesus who has redeemed us and saved us, says on Sundays, the first day of the week, get together with other sinful, uh, frail Christians and sing my praises and uh, be reminded for, through preaching and baptism in the Lord's Supper, then that's exactly what we need to do. And so things are going well at the church. We, we have a lot of visitors because some churches in the area don't open, mm-hmm. and so saints want to attend worship services, so they end up coming to where we are. And uh, so, so far, um, nothing really major that's happening. I live in a little town of like 6,000, so we just try to lay low and um, keep preaching Christ. Mm. Amen, brother. Isn't it a fascinating time that we're in? Um, Because of COVID and 
our reaction to it, meaning our government and then our uh, church leaders across the country. Do you see this in a way as maybe God separating the sheep from the goats, or is there something, uh, some similar analogy that you're seeing? Yeah, I think that's insightful, Dave. I, uh, what I've been noticing is, in many ways, it's the destruction of kind of the pop uh, church culture that uh, mega church and we go to church because uh, they've got a good children's program and they've got you know nice amenities and there's a gym next to it and you know lots of things that in and of themselves I'm sure aren't bad but if we just had to boil everything down to okay what about preaching and corporate worship uh, prayer what if everything else gets canceled but those things would people still attend and I think for many people I think it's just a social deal and fellowship only um, with other people, and so they're they're not wanting to go because they're afraid. And, of course, I think we talked about it last time, uh, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, but for many, and I did a little video on this, uh, the fear of COVID is the beginning of wisdom, where people are just so afraid. Yes. And I think people need to start thinking through, okay, what motivates people? Well, greed is a motivator, uh, and fear is a motivator. And so to what degree, and even in your opening prayer, Dave, uh, we're, we're so uh, fra- uh, f- afraid. Well, you know what? There's another virus that's, gonna, that's got everybody. It's called the SIN virus, and it's going to kill us all. And so that's Sin. why we need to be thinking about <laughs> eternal matters. Yeah. And, and to me, I guess the long answer to your question I just gave, the short answer is, I'm just seeing the destruction of these churches that are kind of wannabe churches. If you're not really serious about expository preaching and talking about the Lord Jesus, then you kind of vanish away. There have been churches that, you know, have not met for a year or two, are not going to meet. And I just think that's a travesty. It is. It is. I mean, Jesus opened the church, (laughs) so-called, on Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came on the scene. Um, We have no instruction to stop our mission to close the church, the church, of course, not being a building. Um, but anyway, that's our battle here in America, very unique battle, and we're going to talk a little later on about the changing evangelical landscape. We'll talk about sanctification. You're teaching through the book of Second Peter. I love it. We've got a couple things I want to talk to you about that. But before we get to that, and before we get to your take on Ravi Zacharias and his tarnished legacy, um, Joe Biden is president. Um, He stressed that his religion doesn't dictate his policies. And I'm kind of going, wow, that's like separation of church and state. You can separate your faith from your actions, which is impossible as a Christian. But in his own words, he said, I'm a cultural Catholic. I thought about that because of what you just said. You said a lot of people, I'm paraphrasing what you just said, a lot of people see church as a cultural thing, more like a social gathering, and not really what the the definition of the church is. Would you like to just share your thoughts on what it means to be a, first of all, Catholicism? I think half of the people disagree with Joe Biden's version of of Catholicism, but uh, this idea of cultural faith, Mike. Sure. Well, a few different thoughts. One is, it's kind of amazing if you look at the American history uh, and and say, all right, how long did it take for us to get a Catholic president? And I believe uh, uh, President Kennedy was the first Catholic president. And then these days, it's hard to find a Protestant president. Mm -hmm. It seems like Roman Catholics have, um, uh, in in light of the book called American Catholic by D.G. Hart, they seem to be in these influential places, whether it's the Supreme Court or any place else. And so I find that kind of an interesting observation. But, you know, the whole thing, I'm a cultural Christian, I'm a cultural Catholic, uh, basically that's just short for uh, I'm generally religious, but I pick and choose what I want. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, there are other things more important, i.e. politics. I'm not a very good politician, and I don't think most pastors should be, because politics in in its definitional form is, well, we have to compromise, right? To get a coalition and to get influence, you have to compromise. And, of course, I just look at the Lord uh, Jesus, and that's just what he wasn't. I mean, if, if you just think Jesus was a politician, the answer is absolutely not. I mean, that's a false statement. 
and uh, I know Christians can be politicians, and you know all these kind of caveats, but that's not the Lord's agenda. And uh, for me personally, here in Massachusetts, and I joke about it a lot, uh, Massachusetts is a state where even Republicans are Democrats. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. So I just try to look at people here that are Democrats. They're not my enemies. They're not the evil one. Uh, every soul that's here, whether they're Democrats or independent or Republican, they're going to die and uh, stand before God one day, and they're going to need to be perfect. They need to be perfect righteousness provided by the Lord Jesus, and that's either through faith alone or it's going to be their own works, and that's going to be uh, an awful day. Uh, the Bible says it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. So I just think with COVID, the politics, this latest round of you know uh, electioneering and everything, I just think, okay, that's all true, and uh, people might be sad or glad, but we have to we have to focus on the right things. We have to have our mindset on these things are all fading away, and what are the spiritual realities that last on into eternity? And so that's why I try not to get all involved with politics and uh, imbibing everything from Newsmax to, in the old days I used to say from CNN to Fox, but now Fox maybe isn't so conservative, so now I have to say from CNN to Newsmax. Right. (laughs) (laughs) true. But it is a cultural Christianity that basically says, don't let it get in my way. Uh, If it's going to cost me a whole lot, Mm -hmm. fine, Uh, I'll avoid it. Uh, I don't want to be ostracized. I don't want to be those weird people. When you look at Christianity uh, uh, in the Bible, and of course Paul said, our politics is in heaven, and what he meant by that was our citizenship is in heaven. That's the where we get the Greek word for citizen is the root word for politics. So our our, our, our citizenship is in here. Yes. But you know Ed, that's a hard one to to ask for when we say I see things with my eyes and hear things with my ears. We uh, walk by sight all too often, but the Bible tells us to walk by faith instead. Amen, Mike. And I do want to ask a follow-up question on what you just shared. and um, Because th- so many things are going around in, in my mind, and maybe in the minds of our listeners right now, thinking, yeah, that's great. We can be about sharing the gospel and discipleship, but we have a movement, if you want to call it that. Is it, it is de- a demonic agenda in this nation. Uh, that's coming against not only the church, but wants to dismantle the country. I'm thinking about globalism, the Great Reset, the uh, the kicking Christians out of the public square. They want they want us to keep our faith behind closed doors. In fact, now they're even coming out. They don't even want us to believe what we believe. Before they could disagree with us 50 years ago. But now they insult us and they're condescending. My question, I guess, is can, I know we can coexist in quotes, right? Uh, we can coexist with enemies of God, with the left. They need to hear the gospel. They need to be saved. But what happens in this per- unique free country when they try to, s- to take away your rights, including freedom of speech, freedom of religious expression, and your lifestyle, your livelihood, and the way, the way of life we've had, we've enjoyed in America, what what is a Christian? How do you discern that? How do you make that leap from we've got to be about the Word of God, about the gospel, making disciples, and and building the body of Christ? But aren't we to be salt and light? Help us to make that connection, Mike. Sure, I think if you <clears throat> look at spheres of where we influence people, uh, there are these different spheres that some of the theologians would talk about, and there might be a, a family influence sphere, and a government, and a church. Uh, I don't think there's anything wrong with people praying for the nation or saying we should vote or maybe somebody who's a Christian should run or there's a variety of human kind of things that we could do. But I just don't like a blending uh, of the two, of the church and uh, the, 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 the world of politics. So we have a unique mission, and Jesus said he's going to build the church and... Uh, the gates of death aren't going to stop it, and so I don't want to be competing against Jesus building the church, and so he's given us the way to do that very thing. And of course, the church, as she grows, it's usually incremental, it's usually quiet. Uh, you think about mustard seeds and other things, and it's not this big to do. I mean, mm-hmm. what we want in America is back to the, I went to the University of Nebraska, and I don't remember much, but <laughs> I remember the marketing class, you know, the four P's of marketing, product, 
place, price, and promotion, and all these kind of big things that we want. Uh, but when it comes to the church, it's just slowly, uh, incrementally, uh, we can honor God with the way we wash dishes at home uh, and also preach the, from the pulpit. And uh, so it's just one person at a time. I mean, I do believe that there are uh, a set amount of people who will come to faith, and when that's over, the Lord Jesus returns. And so once that's full, uh, he'll, he'll come back. And so we just have our job to do. It's harder now, uh, but I think it, it's really going to show who the real Christians are and who the false ones are. I mean, I just can imagine if you, ha- you went to a church where every Sunday it was, let me give you five ways to get through the week and five better ways to be a better dad and all these other things. I, I'm, I'm all for being a good dad. But Paul was clear. He said, him we proclaim. He's talking about Jesus in Colossians 1.28. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, I've determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I just think it's a non-negotiable. When pastors get up and preach, it has to be about Jesus. And if people on the side want to talk about politics and all the other things, that's fine. But I have an agenda, and I've been sent by the Lord to preach about Jesus. And so, therefore, we have to be very, very careful that we don't fall into, you know what, we're going to change the world uh, by our politics. And actually, it's not going to happen, and at least maybe this these last year and a half will show us uh, how wrong it is to say, you know what, we're going to change the world of evangelicalism uh, through the courts, through uh, political issues, and it's a, it's a no-sum game. So I just think, I know what I'm supposed to do. I do it every week. Uh, we're to be salt and light, like you said. I'm to adorn the gospel by my holy living, but I can't get caught up in all this. Uh, you know, it's the old... Uh, a schizophrenic kind of uh, him thing, you know, this world not my home, I'm just passing through, or is it this is my father's world? <laughs> Which one is it <laughs> when we sing these hymns? So I just, as a pastor, I know what I'm called to do, and uh, whatever the world is doing, I'm not swayed one way or the other. I'm sad for the country, mm-hmm. but my, my marching orders have not changed in one little bit. Amen. Amen. Um, real quickly, I'm sorry we are running out of time. We have three minutes in this segment. I wanted to ask you about Ravi Zacharias, and we talked a little bit about him the other day. Um, just the sad revelations that his own ministry did, and in, in, hired an uh, independent investigator uh, to report or, or to go in and find out all these things, the accusations, and they were true. In fact, more disturbing than what even. RZIM had imagined, meaning he was involved with this for years. He had like four phones. It, he was living a double life. And he was one of like the apologist of apologists. And uh, uh, his legacy is tarnished now. Mike, what are your, your thoughts? Uh, I know we can all fall, right? Yeah, well, the thing about yeah. Ravi Zacharias, first of all, if you call your ministry Ravi Zacharias International Ministries, I've already got a problem. Uh, it's a celebrity culture where we flock around people who we think are wise or can speak well. Uh, my problem, and in my opinion with Ravi, this is not a new thing. I mean, the revelation of his sexual infidelity is, but if you go back, I mean, I remember when Ravi Zacharias for the National Day of Prayer couldn't say in Jesus' name uh, at Capitol Hill, hmm. and uh, calling Joyce Meyer a great teacher, and uh, talking about, you know, ordaining women uh, pastors and uh, promoting the Alpha Course. That's all stuff that happened 10 years ago. Wow. So, you know, you don't fall out of a tree. You've got to climb up at first. And so, Robbie Zacharias, as far as I know, uh, what was his, where was his local church? Where were the elders? And uh, so I think what RZIM needs to do is shut it down. I don't know what they do with the funds, but mm. in terms of a legacy for him... Uh, the legacy is sexual infidelity, mm-hmm. and uh, I'm not better than Ravi or anything like that. That's not the point. But the legacy now, when anybody thinks of him, is going to think of massage parlors and other sinful things. Right. And so they just need to shut it down. And uh, I'm, I'm sorry that it happened, but I'm not surprised, because when you try to get this popular appeal and you cut corners... Um, there's a big problem. I, I, in addition, last thought about him, uh, he never was a great Bible teacher in my mind. He had good philosophy, maybe, or worldview, mm-hmm. or how do you do apologetics, mm-hmm. but I want people to teach the Bible. And when I would watch Ravi Zacharias, 
I never got a good biblical exposition. Hmm. I got a lot of intellectualism, and so while I've never followed his ministry, uh, he's been going south for quite some time. Mm, I appreciate your honesty, and our, our listeners do as well. Whether we agree or disagree, I appreciate what you just shared. And, yeah, we've got to keep our leaders accountable, and there's got to be accountability in the church. Um, we've got a, so much more coming up with Pastor Mike Abendroth, including celebrity Christianity and the changing evangelical landscape. We'll also touch on Second Peter when we come back on Stand Up for the Truth. Thank you for listening and sharing today's show via StandUpForTheTruth.com slash podcast. Now, back to Stand Up For The Truth. Here's David Fiorazzo. We're with Mike Avendroth today, No Compromise Radio, pastor of Bethlehem Bible Church in Massachusetts. And Mike, we were talking about Ravi Zacharias. I, I, I think we need to, to say a couple more things. There was such a big revelation to a lot of people because he lived such a double life and hid his sin from people closest to him. Nobody had any clue, apparently. Um, I, he traveled with a masseuse, from what I understand, and his uh, ministry counseled him not to do that because of the appearance of evil. But they didn't, for any for a minute, think that he was actually doing anything that was uh, sexually immoral. So I would like for you to share your concern as a pastor um, just to other pastors, I, I know some, uh, you know, you think of the Mike Pence rule, the Billy Graham rule. Whenever they're traveling, they never go into a room with a woman alone. In other words, unless it's their wife, they will never even be alone in a room, not only their hotel room, but even a restaurant. So your thoughts on things that as Christian leaders we must do to protect ourselves from w- what Ravi fell into. Yeah, important, Dave. I Probably the best thing that I would recommend is don't follow Christian leaders, i.e. Christian celebrities, that aren't really held accountable at the local church level. Now, maybe there were some things with Ravi Zacharias' home church that I don't know, but when you become such a big name, mm. you still need to make sure you have checks and balances because we're all prone to wander and we all still struggle with sin. And, of course, uh, Romans 7, you know, Paul, the uh, mature apostle, he, he does things he doesn't want to do and he, he needs to be rescued by the Lord. And he says, oh, wretched man that I am. And then he turns the corner in chapter 8, no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. I want to know, why don't I know about his home church? Uh, if, if we had an apologist here in Massachusetts attending our church, I would say to them, do you know what? It would be wise if you would run by your schedule, how long you're gone, how long you're away from your wife. Uh, we want to come alongside and not, you know, run your life, but just to give you an extra pair of eyes. A lot of these celebrity Christians, I don't know what church they go to, and they just are off on their own. I mean, they're only accountable to their board, and then the board is full of their, you know, it's full of wives and children and other things like that. And so I just think, I just think there's a reason why local churches have a plurality of elders, and that is a good check and balance. And that's why we have to realize when we have these celebrities, while I don't want anything bad to happen because it besmirches the name of Christ, uh, I'm not shocked when they run around the world and um, teach all the time. And and I'm no celebrity, but I've been teaching the Bible Uh, the last 10 years, and the Lord has taken me a lot of places. And what I've noticed, Dave, is if I go to Wisconsin and teach, boy, the people there are like, thanks for the conference, and it was such a great message, and we're all encouraged, and they're happy, and I'm glad for that. And then I come home and teach the same message to the folks that the Lord has given me here in Massachusetts. They're not that impressed. They're thankful, but they're not that impressed. (laughs) And so can you imagine going around the world traveling, and everybody thinks you're great, and then now you've got the first class of plane tickets and the big honorariums, and you've got your posse and everything else. I just think the only word that comes to my mind is it's just carnal. Mm -hmm. And there's nothing wrong with a conference. There's nothing wrong with speaking someplace. But if you start believing your own press... Uh, there's uh, something really wrong with that. And so I, I I don't know all the details behind the scenes with him, 
but it's a tragic ending uh, that could have, uh, I think it could have been prevented long, long ago. Yes, I agree, Mike, and thank you. Um, I, I, we weren't going to go this long on this topic today, but I, I think it's important uh, because it happens often, and it just last year the revelation came out of, um, oh, uh, Carl Lentz. Um, he was fired from his church. He was a, literally a celebrity pastor. I mean, he supposedly baptized Justin Bieber. He came out and said, uh, he admitted he did not do an adequate job of protecting my own spirit. He said, I was unfaithful in my marriage, the most important relationship in my life, and and uh, held, held accountable for that. He said, the failure's on me, and he takes responsibility. I don't know if it was after he was caught or whatever, but I, but I think it was um, with more than one woman from what I understand. But anyway, you're, this was in New York. He was the pastor of a church. He wasn't a traveling apologist. I believe he, he had his church, and it was Hillsong. Um, so that was a little different circumstance, but similar outcome, an adulterous affair, uh, at least one. And so he was very... Uh, I'm not, you might want to speak on when he went on Oprah or The View, uh, the Liberal View TV show with the women, um, and he would not say homosexuality is a sin. He would not uh, say abortion was wrong, all these things. And you're kind of, come on, man, you're a pastor. Please, please, you know, stand for the truth of the word of God. Uh, Mike, your thoughts, a different situation, uh, same outcome, sexual failure. Yes. Well, you're right that it was at a local church level, and I don't know how they operate there, but in my mind, while they call themselves a church, Hillsong does, I don't think they are. And uh, secondly, Thank you. Uh, he, uh, you know, the pastor uh, says, and that's in air quotes, uh, if you can't call what the Bible calls sin, sin, uh, you need to get a different job because y- you're not qualified. Mm. And uh, where are the men? who will stand up these days and when asked the question, is homosexuality a sin? If they want to preface it by saying uh, there's all kinds of sexual sin, heterosexual, homosexual, all that stuff, they can. But if you're asking me a question, is it sin? The answer is, yes, it's sin. And if you want to ask me the next question, can it be forgiven? The answer is yes, because here's what the Lord Jesus and his life and death uh, have proven, and that is all kinds of sin he dies for, and Jesus is a great Savior of great sinners. But if I tell people, you know what, that's not sin anymore, I'm no longer a pastor. So for him, uh, for uh, what's going on in New York City, to me that was just, that was, yes, in a local church, but just a tragedy because we're starting off on the wrong foot. I mean, with Ravi, he came across as orthodox mm-hmm. uh, in many areas, uh, but there's behind the scenes. And with Lentz, uh, it's not so orthodox, even with your two statements there when he's on the Oprah, uh, Oprah and The View and all that. Can you imagine? I, I don't know if I'd ever think that I would be on, but if The View asked me to be on, <laughs> would, would I go? And if I went, I would have to make sure that no matter what they asked me, I was going to have to bring things back to the gospel, this is the, the message truth. of Christianity. Mm-hmm. So um, there are checks and balances at churches, but they don't always work. And maybe a bigger point here I could make, Dave, uh, some trust in horses and some trust in chariots, but we will trust in the name of the Lord. And we've all known pastors that have been kind to us and preached the word to us, and maybe we got saved under their ministry and they've sinned. And so we have to make sure we realize that uh, God still has his kingdom progressing, uh, even through frail, sinful people uh, that don't live up to what they're preaching. And so to me, I'm not discouraged uh, and say, you know what, Christianity is all, you know, wrong. I just say, well, people sin, and uh, how we deal with sin is the issue. Yes. Uh, and, and, And therefore... Um, I just want to make sure that we still can hope in the Lord because uh, the Lord Jesus never sinned, and so that's where we need to keep our eyes. Uh, Mike, I think the Holy Spirit is driving this conversation at this point. I think there are a lot of people that are listening right now that cannot relate to this, but there are some that their pastors, for whatever reason, might, maybe it was a financial issue, like uh, the James McDonald you know, up in Chicago, whatever. Maybe their pastor fell into other types of sin, money, or maybe it wasn't adultery, but be, 
the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. It is not the church you go to is not the power of God, the brick-and-mortar building or the name of the evangelical church. You were not saved because of a church. So if your pastor fell, if your church went out of commission or whatever, you're still saved, and that, that your salvation should never be questioned because of someone who baptized you, because of someone who led you to the Lord, just because they fall away doesn't mean that you were not discipled. Would you like to add to that, Mike? Sure. Uh, my brother and I both got saved about the same time. It was 1989. Our father died, and he was 55, and so the Lord saved me, and then he saved my brother, and so I, I moved to Los Angeles, and I began to study the Bible, and <clears throat> then what happened was my brother was at the university campus, and he was discipled um, by some parachurch people. If I, if I gave you the name, you would, you would know the parachurch at the college level. Mm. And uh, years later, uh, comes to find out that guy who discipled my brother uh, left his wife uh, for another man. Oh, and so you, you, you have lots of thoughts. You know, this is uh, tragic. This is awful. Why do people do these things? Mm. Uh, but, the, but the power of the Word is still the power of the Word. Yes. And uh, therefore, uh, this man that came alongside of my brother and said, this is, this is the truth, and, you know, the other college students there on campus, this is the truth, and we're glad for that. And, you know, if God can use a donkey to talk, well, then he could obviously use me. And I don't want to be a hypocrite, but I know I am a hypocrite, and therefore I, I don't practice what I preach. I want to. I want to keep short accounts with the Lord. But that's why it is mandatory that if I get up and preach, it better be about Jesus, because there's only so long that I can continue to talk about myself before the real me shows up. And the real me <laughs> is just as sinful as all these other people we've been talking about, but for whatever reason, God has been kind and generous to me so I don't have some full-on scandal that disqualifies me from ministry. So you don't I, you don't act on we all have things and desires and thoughts we ought not act on temptations right but we're blessed to be able to say well praise God so far and I yeah, yeah I pray, right you know? so when people say well what's the legacy of Ravi Zacharias ministry answer sexual sin and uh, blown out of ministry mm. uh, what what about praying for your pastors and I, I hope people pray for me I want my legacy to be. Um, he was a Christ-centered preacher. He taught the Bible verse by verse, and I didn't have any kind of, you know, uh, toward the end of my life, some kind of horrible scandal uh, that that uh, did something uh, to affect the fame and the glory of who Jesus is. But we are all we are all needing to stay close to the Lord because I think it was Luther who said, <clears throat> you know, there's enough sin in my heart uh, um, that would be, you know, like a thousand devils. Um, uh, the equivalent of a thousand devil sin in my heart. And so we are uh, frail people, and we have to be very careful. And so I, I don't want to ever come across as, I think we're better, mm -hmm. but we do have to call it as truth. And that is, you got one shot for gospel ministry. And when you fail in this area, while you could be restored to fellowship, you're not restored to leadership. And you watch these guys in New York and other places, Chicago, back into ministry they go. Seattle with Driscoll, back into ministry they go. Tule and down in Florida, back into ministry. you got one shot. Strike one, you're out. And therefore, mm -hmm. you have to be very, very careful. Oh, he's got a good personality, and we want him back as our pastor. Uh, that's a dereliction of duty. Yep. Amen. You know what? That's going to... Flow nicely into this question I wanted to ask you. You wanted to talk a little bit this morning about the challenge of the modern American church. I want to know what you, what, what you uh, think about that. But are we equipping the saints or are we entertaining them in many of our churches? I think about the entertaining visual dynamics in the worship that we have, which is very entertaining. Um, and I just wanted to get your take on that because I see that uh, Hillsong and other churches that are all about the music and the performance. And I know some say some churches want to do that. They're maybe not as entertaining, but they want to draw people in. So they'll do a Christian version of, I don't know, um, <laughs> Back in Black by ACDC. I don't know. That's just a random uh, name that, uh, song that came to my head that you would never do in church. But they'll change the lyrics. They'll make it something to draw people in so that secular people can relate your thoughts on that, because I think our entertaining 
approach is really getting us into trouble and uh, causing the church to compromise. Right. Well, you're going to get me in trouble now because go ahead. This is a passion of mine. Good. But I'm thousands of miles away, so <laughs> I'm looking out the window here. We're going to get a few more uh, inches of snow today, and it's like the tundra here. But in answer your question, Dave, uh, we are to feed the sheep, not entertain the goats. Uh, as Spurgeon would say. And so we are to feed the sheep. I think three times the Lord Jesus said to Peter, feed my sheep, you know, tend my lambs. And that's what we're supposed to do. And in terms of entertainment, entertainment and church worship services, those shouldn't go together. Mm. If you said, well, that was pleasing or I enjoyed the song, that's one thing. But I'm not trying to entertain anyone. And these churches that say, well, you know what, Uh, I don't know how to preach, and so, therefore, I have to show a Braveheart clip or a Gladiator clip or something from The Incredibles. That ought to be the last sermon those men ever preach, because mm-hmm. it's not a sermon. I don't need that. The most dramatic thing in all the Bible is the history of redemption. And I don't need to go, you know what, I need to show a little clip here. So people can relate. You can't preach. What? Yeah. So people can relate, right? Yeah. If you can't preach, then show clips. And so if mm-hmm. you go to a church, dear listener, that it's all about that, um, you're fooling yourself, and you're like, well, my kids like it, uh, and my unbelieving friends like it. Well, that's not, what we, that's not what we're doing. This is for the Lord's people called out on a Sunday, and it's very simple. And you could reproduce New Testament worship all across the world. And you have Bible readings, you have songs about Jesus, you have preaching, you have water, baptism. I mean, think about it. The height of the Old Testament sensual worship, that is, with the senses. It was the temple. I mean, there was nothing like it. Blue pomegranates and the gold and the incense, there's nothing like it. And now Jesus comes along, and all the pomp and circumstance of external visual worship is gone. And now for the New Testament, it's bread, water, wine, and a book. Mm. And that's what you have. And so I don't need anything beyond that. And if I do, I should just quit because the drama of redemption and seeing this great, the eternal Son who existed in eternity past with the Father and the Spirit, and the Father says to the Son in eternity past before Genesis 1-1, Son, go rescue the bride from me. And he says, I will. And the Holy Spirit gives uh, testimony of that transaction. And he then assists Jesus living his life, dying on the cross, raised from the dead, and then applying the life of of Christ to our account. Uh, It's an amazing story. So if it's this, you know, I I like bands. I mean, I used to be a punk rock disc jockey, and I like up-tempo music, and I can't believe you just quoted ACDC, but (laughs) it's not for Sunday. No, no. It's not for Sunday. That's not called worship. It's not. Mike, Uh, we've got to take a break, but I want to continue this conversation. I Hopefully it's a thought-provoking one for our listeners. More with Pastor Mike Abendroth on Stand Up For The Truth in just a minute. Your monthly financial support of StandUpForTheTruth.com is needed and appreciated. Now, back to today's Stand Up For The Truth with David Fiorazzo. Pastor Mike Abendroth, we're talking about uh, modern preaching styles, and I should say presentations, because I don't want to say that whatever, whatever what's taking place in a lot of American Americanized churches today is uh, preaching and teaching, because in, in my opinion, it's not, um, generally. But I want your take on parables, stories, analogies. You mentioned showing the video clips to make a point, um, showing whatever, you know, to try these, these, what do you call them, supplements to a sermon. And I'm thinking, man, Mike, I wanted to say God bless you when you shared what you shared a couple minutes ago, that you just teach the Word of God. So your thoughts, because a lot of pastors will say, well, Jesus taught parables. Why can't I tell a couple stories at different points in my sermon to make it more applicable to the people? Right. Well, a few thoughts on that, Dave. First of all, the Bible is relevant. I don't need to show it's, I don't need to make it relevant. I can show the people how it is relevant, but we have the eternal God writing his word. And so sin is relevant, God's relevant, hell's relevant, heaven's relevant, Jesus is relevant. And so I don't need to do anything to kind of give the Bible, you know, a crutch where it needs my little help. Mm. I have 40 minutes, let's say, 30 to 45 minutes to get up and preach. And therefore, I have to make sure 
that I don't have, for instance, you know, some 10-minute introduction when I don't have that much time. I've got a certain amount of time, and I need to make sure I, I, I get to the text quickly. In preaching school, we might call that time to text, right? How long does it take me to get to the text? Amen. But also, I'm thinking to myself, well, yeah, okay, Jesus, you know, if somebody said to me, well, Jesus told parables, and that's why I tell stories. Mm-hmm. Well, my first thought is, A, that's how liberals talk, they deny the deity of Christ, they're always talking about his parables. And number two, you're not Jesus. And Jesus said to you, Pastor, to preach the Word, not come up with all these new kind of things. No, to preach the Word. And if you're in Mark 4 and there's a parable, well, preach it. But there is the spiritual truth that comes along with that story, and it doesn't come along with, you know, my my adventures out in the world. Yes. And so I don't think there's anything wrong with a pastor telling a story, um, but I don't think it should dominate. I don't think people should walk away going, man, do you remember that story versus I'm thankful today that I was reminded that God loved me. I mean, think about it for just a second. All week long, we are underneath a law, and we're underneath this covenant of works, we would call it, and the law is your conscience. Did you do it or did you not? Accusing or excusing. You go to work, and they don't, it's not grace at work, it's law at work. Did you get the job done or did you not? At home, often it's the same thing. So I need to go to a worship service on a Sunday to be reminded, and this is why we have communion at the, at, at, on Sundays, to be reminded that my salvation has been accomplished by someone else outside of me, and he did all the work. And that's why if you think, okay, the Lord's Supper, uh, whose supper is it? It's the Lord's Supper. Who's serving whom? Answer is, it's as if Jesus is serving us, and what is he saying? You're welcome at my table because of the work that I have done for you. And so I can use different illustrations and things like that to help people understand, but I can't have the dominating message, my storytelling. And by the way, storytelling is a lost art these days. I don't know many people who can tell a good story, so I just need to get my head down and keep preaching the text. Uh, Your listeners already think I'm strange, so I might as well expand it. Uh, On my desk in my (laughs) office, my study, I have a skull, a human skull. And a real skull cost about $1,500. And so I got the ceramic version, Dave. It's $29. (laughs) And so why do I have a skull on my desk? Well, the old Puritans used to do that very thing. And here's why you have a skull on your desk if you're a pastor. Uh, there are side benefits when, when when young boys come in and say, Pastor, that's a zombie. But the real reason I want that there is because I'm preaching to people that will die one day, and I'm going to die one day. Mm-hmm. And then all the little games that we play and little stories that we tell are all going to fade into oblivion. Amen. What we need is the old-school New England churches where you'd have to walk through the cemetery to get to the church. Mm. And there'd be your first wife and a couple children, your dad, your mom, and you'd have to say there are eternal realities yes. that we're going to talk about today. And if Jesus didn't, re- if he's not been raised from the dead, we are to be pitied. Most of the time, I don't even get that in a church service these days with all the seeker sensitive stuff because everything's going around perfectly. You don't even need the Holy Spirit. What if the Holy Spirit left the church? Many of these churches could keep playing their videos the whole time. So where's the gravity? Where's the, you know, think about the root word for worship, worth and gravity, and there's a solemnity. Uh, where, where are the days when Isaiah would walk up into the pulpit and you'd just be shattered, right, as he was shattered by the holiness of God? Um, I'm not there to entertain people. I'm there to be faithful. And by the way, when you are faithful, um, God blesses that, but also a lot of people leave because they want to have their ears tickled, and that's exactly what Paul said in Second Timothy chapter 4. Wanting to have their ears tickled, they heap up teachers after their own desires. And if you heap up the Joyce Myers of the world and the Carl Lenses of the world, I know something not just about them, I know, it about, I know something about you. Mm. Thank you. Mike, um, wow, there's so much I, I, I would love to follow up on, but we're running out of time, and I do want to get to um, sanctification because you mentioned that. You're teaching through Second Peter right now, um, and I'll let you decide where to go because you, there's, chapter 2 starts off with uh, false prophets appeared among the people, and there will be false teachers among you. 
So uh, where are you at in Second Peter, and do you want to discuss false teachings versus, or sanctification <laughs> uh, in the time we have left? Either one. Okay, well, thank you. I started First Peter, Second Peter last week, and what I do is I, I do a, a jet tour to start the series. So I teach through the whole book, just a, a, a you know, bird's eye view, kind of 37,000 foot view, and then we'll go back and go section by section. And so last week was the jet tour, and if somebody wants to listen to it, they can just go to bbcchurch.org and pull up Second Peter. But what I thought was fascinating in Second Peter, and I think your listeners will like this as well, there are in Second Peter chapter 2 these false teachers, and they deny the master who bought them, right? These false prophets, they arise among the people, and they're bringing in destructive heresies, and Second Peter 2.1 says, even denying the master who bought them, mm. bringing upon themselves swift destruction. So here's the really neat part. If you think big picture just for a second, uh, Peter, how many times did he deny the Lord? And he did that um, not just once, obviously. And so Peter then sees the resurrected Jesus, and he won't be denying the Lord anymore. <laughs> He'll call out people that do. And when you read First Peter, it's about Jesus. When you read Second Peter, just study the words Jesus, Savior, our Lord, and Second Peter. It's everywhere you go. While the book is about false teachers, it's mainly about who Jesus is. Mm. When you hear Peter preach in Acts 2, 3, 4, and 5, his message is, like in Acts 2, men of Israel, and then his next word, talk about what Jesus, I mean, what Peter always talked about, and he said, Jesus. So when you read Second Peter, the, the best thing I can say in this short amount of time is, it's a book about Jesus, and it's extolling Jesus, and when God gets a hold of Peter and shows him the resurrected Savior, uh, Peter's not going to deny Jesus again, and he's going to call out people that do. So that's how I like to look at Second Peter. Um, I read earlier uh, chapter 1, and I love that reminder that they were eyewitnesses of his majesty. And we forget what a profound impact that can have on people. All those that we read about you know, in Acts or in First uh, Corinthians 15, uh, or the disciples, the apostles, anyone who is an eyewitness of Jesus, it changes your life. And I, I love the fact that it just that builds and makes it all about Christ because it comes back to who is our faith in. And in our day and age, will we be ashamed of him? Will we deny him? Or will we be faithful? And I think that's what a lot of Christians in America are dealing with, that decision. Yeah, it's so true. When you when you go to that transfiguration account that you referred to, Dave, what he's trying to say is, is, is simple. There are false teachers that go around running their mouths all the time. And he says, you know what? I was on that mountain, that holy mountain, and I saw with my eyes, I was an eyewitness, and I heard with my ears, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased, mm. but there's the prophetic word made more sure. Made more sure than what? More than my eyes and my ears, uh, and although that's a, it, it really happened, that transfiguration happened, but he has something more trustworthy. Mm. And how are you going to live a life with false teachers everywhere? You need to have an anchor, and that anchor is the prophetic word made more sure. And so even over experience, even over a real experience, I've got the Word of God, and I can trust it, and I don't have to worry about following false teachers when I have the Word, which mm. is like a light shining in the dark place. So I love that section there. Me too. And when people say things like, well, you know, I really feel like this, you know, Jesus Calling is a good book, and it's subjective. <laughs> I think to myself, I have a word more sure. Yes, the Scriptures. And by the way, I love, love, love the way the, the chapter 1 ends when he talks about the prophetic word. Uh, in verse 20, it says, Know this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture becomes a matter of someone's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. Mike, your thoughts just on that? Totally. Let me, re, uh, let me reword that uh, with a sense of the meaning. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from one's own interpretation, like those false teachers, 
for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, like those false teachers. Mm. But men, instead of the false teachers, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Don't listen to all these other people when you could have God's breathed word in 66 books. Don't fall prey to these other people. And so the whole thing is a foil against these false teachers that, like I said, run their mouths that Jesus isn't going to come back, Jesus isn't real, listen to them, uh, and we need to make sure our eyes are focused back on the object of our faith, and that is the Lord Jesus himself. Amen. All scriptures inspired by God, beneficial for teaching, for correction, training, and righteousness. Um, Mike Abendroth, No Compromise Radio. Um, what's the best way to get a hold of you? People want to get to your teachings or your, your uh, recent uh, Compromise Radio blogs? Sure. Um, it's Venmo. Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. Uh, it's bbcchurch.org or nocompromiseradio.com. All right. Nocompromiseradio.com or bbcchurch.org. Um, either one of those. Uh, people <laughs> love, want to go. love your humor, brother, but I, I love your straight-talking dedication to the Word of God and uh, how we need to do church here or get back to doing church in America. Mike Abendroth, God bless you, brother. We'll talk to you again soon, God willing. Thanks. All right, when we come back, uh, we'll let you know who's on tomorrow. It's Friday already. And, uh, and then maybe we'll look at next week as well on Stand Up For The Truth. Stand Up For The Truth, a ministry of Lakeshore Communications Incorporated. Keep the discussion going on social media. Stand Up WI on Facebook and Twitter. Now, we wrap up today's Stand Up For The Truth. All right, tomorrow, Dr. Andy Woods is back with us. We're going to talk about the danger of what the left is doing when they are uh, redefining or they're defining what it means to to be a Christian or a nationalist. Christian nationalism is the term, the terms they're throwing around and really saying we're a radical right-wing fascists and, and insurrectionists. It's very dangerous rhetoric coming from the left and the media and all of the above. So tomorrow, Dr. Andrew Woods, more things to talk about as well, but Elizabeth Johnston, she's the activist mommy. She's going to be back with us on Monday. I just want to give you a sneak peek to next week. I love these guests. Pastor Rick Scarborough of Recover America Now and Pastor Matt Truella and Cal Beisner is going to be back with us. It's been a while. Cornwall Alliance will talk about the stewardship of creation, the radical environmentalist movement. So just wanted to give you a heads up on what's coming up next week. But tomorrow, um, we've got to really talk about what they are framing as uh, Christians being dangerous and how the left is really coming against the church with Dr. Andy Woods and a whole lot more we'll get into. God willing. Thank you for listening. We appreciate you guys. God bless you. And as always, keep speaking the truth about things that matter.